Chelik Yutes, volume 19, the fourth Sicha for Parsha Seftim. This Sicha is quite long. In fact, it has 14 chapters. So we're not going to go over every single detail of the Sicha, but just try to deliver the general idea, the general gist of what the Sicha is talking about. It is an explanation on the concept of Edus, witnesses, and its connection, how it applies to us, the Jewish people, and our effect in the world. Just as a quick introduction, and by the way, we're going to learn a lot of Kabbalah. According to the Torah, when two witnesses come to Bezdin and testify about a matter, after they are thoroughly investigated and interrogated, and it's determined that what they're saying is true, in other words, they corroborate every single detail, then we look at it. It becomes established as fact. It becomes as if we saw it ourselves. However, it's imperative that they have a, they go through a thorough interrogation, a thorough questioning in order to determine this. In our Parsha, chapter 19, verse 15, it says, Alpi Shnaim Edim, literally by the mouth, meaning by the testimony of two witnesses or three witnesses, Yakum Dover, a matter becomes established or determined. The key over here is the word Yakum. So the Rebbe says we know in general if we break down the concept of witnesses, it breaks down into two categories. There is Ede Birur. Birur means like clarification, determination. For example, let's say a loan occurred. Okay? A lender comes and makes a claim against the borrower and he says, this person owes me money. Two witnesses come and testify that indeed they witnessed the transaction. They witnessed the lender loaning the money to the borrower. Now, they are not making the loan. They are not, so to speak, ratifying the loan. All they're doing is testifying that a loan indeed occurred. But the loan itself is not, so to speak, dependent. It's not hinged on them having been there or not. Because the fact is, if a lender gives money to a borrower, even in private, that is a, that is a so to speak, a, 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 a loan. That is a bona fide loan and the person owes him the money irrespective of the fact that there are no witnesses. Then there is another type of witnesses, and that is Ede Kiyum, witnesses of ratification. In other words, they, so to speak, make it happen. The classical example for this would be the Adem, the witnesses that stand by as the groom is Mekadesh, the bride. At a wedding, we know that without witnesses, the wedding hasn't taken place. That means even if a man and woman come and they both admit and they say, he gave me a ring with the intention, and he said, you are now my wife, and I agreed, they are not married. They are not married, nothing took place. If there was no two witnesses present, then they, they have not become married. So now, how are we going to explain the word yakum in the Pasuk, in the verse? Yakum means become established, becomes done, becomes ratified. So when it's a day bitter, like we said, those witnesses who are there just for clarification, just to give testimony that indeed something happened, 
then we're going to take we're going to translate the word yakum to the mean determined it becomes confirmed but when it comes to ede kiyum meaning those who actually ratify it they quote unquote make it happen they actually establish the thing to come into being then we're going to ta- we're going to translate the word yakum literally that they ratify it they make it done they make it happen now these two differences in what's accomplished through the witnesses also bring about very interestingly another difference in halacha you see the witnesses that are there just for clarification the ade birur they quote become so to speak witnesses when they approach the bezdin in other words their job their task so to speak begins when they come to testify in bezdin however the ade kiyum the ones that are there to ratify it and to make the thing happen their job so to speak their task begins in the actual real time as the thing is happening when they see when they witness what's happening what's taking place that's when they became witnesses and and based on this the great scholar the rugged shover explains the difference why when it comes to ade kiddushin when it comes to the witnesses who ratify a marriage we don't find in any place that there is a necessity for interrogation for investigation for questioning nobody goes and has does any process of determination to determine that they're actually kosher witnesses why not because they are not becoming witnesses when they come to bezdin they're already witnesses as they're standing there they automatically begin to they automatically become witnesses as they are witnessing the act that's taking place whereas the ade birur whereas the those witnesses that are there just for clarification to determine for us that something indeed happened in the past when is their task begin when they come to Bezdin so Bezdin has an obligation Bezdin has the task to establish them so to speak as witnesses for that they have to go through the whole process of investigation of interrogation in order to confirm that indeed they are witnesses so that's another that's a ramification of the difference between these two now another ramification a practical one there is a concept that's called toich kidei divor literally it means within the required time of speaking what does this mean let's say for example i'm just using a figurative a, a random example somebody pledges to do something somebody makes a vow and immediately toich kidei divor meaning they haven't even sp- finished speaking yet they're still within the reasonable required time for speaking their their breath so to speak is still hot and they change their mind and they say no I'm not doing it then they're not obligated to do it it's as if they have undone it it's undone they made it they done they've done it they've undone it immediately if it's within that time once there is a pause now they cannot take it back now they have to go whatever the process may be they have to go through that process in order to absolve it but if it's they can nullify it immediately just as they said it they can unsay it however when it comes to marriage once the chassan once the groom says that you are now betrothed to me and the witnesses witness that he cannot take it back not even not even if it's within the breath I mean his his breath is still warm from those words he still he cannot go back on it 
Why can he not go back on it? Why can he not take it back? Why can he not unsay it? Because as we said, the act of marriage is taking place not just by him, it's taking place but because the witnesses are there. They are ratifying it. They are making it happen. He has no control over that anymore. Once it has been said and it has been ratified, by virtue of them standing there and witnessing it, it no longer is up to him to be able to take it back. So now we learned some interesting halacha, the concept, understanding a little bit, you know, the types of witnesses and what the ramifications are. Says the Rebbe, we know that everything that we have in Nigla the Torah, in the quote, revealed part of the Torah, such as the Talmud, Halacha, and so on, also we have the equivalent, we have the counterpart in the Nister the Torah, we have the equivalent in the mystical part of the Torah. What is this idea, the concept of these two types of witnesses, the Eide Kiyum versus the Eide Birur in Ruchnius, in, in the spiritual realm of things? So the Rebbe says there's an interesting verse and a, and, and a commentary, an interpretation of the Zohar. There's a verse in Yeshayo, in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verse 10, he says, Atem Eidai Neum Hashem. You are my witnesses, so is the word of God. Now, the Zohar says, who is this you? Who is Hashem speaking to or of? Says the Zohar, either number one, Elon in Yisrael, that this is referring to the Jewish people, us. We are Hashem's witnesses, so to speak, by our existence, by our behavior. We are testimony to the existence of Hashem. Or, and alternatively, says the Zohar, that Elon Einon Shmaya that this is referring to the heavens and the earth, as we find in the Torah, in this, in the Chumash Devarim, that Moshe Rabbeinu talks to the heavens and the earths and he says, I am sending them as witnesses, the heavens and the earth. Says the Rebbe, we can perhaps say, we can suggest that these two interpretations of the Zohar are not countering one another, but rather they're talking about the two types of Eidus, the two types of witnesses, as we mentioned above. There's the Eide Kiyum and there's the Eide Birur. The heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth, they serve as Ede Birur, as the termination witnesses. Whereas the Yisrael, Am Yisrael, we, Hashem's people, we serve as Ede Kiyum. We actually are ratifying, we make it happen, so to speak, that Hashem is existent in the world. And the Rebbe explains as follows. In general, as the Alter Rebbe puts it, when does one need a witness? In other words, what is the whole idea, the whole concept of witness? What is it for? It's really only to reveal or to testify, to establish something which is concealed and totally hidden from, all, from the eyes of all. In other words, something which is revealed or, by the way, even something which is bound to become revealed. In other words, now it may be unknown. But at a future time, it is bound to become revealed. That doesn't really require witnesses. Because that is something which is a matter of revelation. It's a matter that is either already known to all or will be known to all. 
And therefore, says the Rebbe, if we're going to break it down and see what exactly, what element of godliness, of godly emanation, do we really, quote, need witnesses for? Do we really need to have this, whether it's the heavens and the earth, or moreover, us, Am Yisrael? In other words, which part of godliness or interaction of godliness with the world is there a necessity for this, this testimony, this proof, so to speak, through the witnesses? So the Rebbe says, when it comes to the basic idea that God is mechaya the world, that God gives life energy to the world, that there is an existence of God in the world, we don't really need for that any proof. Because you can see it, it's evident. The fact that you see the world is functioning, that in itself tells us it's almost like a revealed matter. It's almost as if we can see it with our own eyes, at least with our intellect, our rationale, we can come to the conclusion that there is God. The example for it would be a very common one. When you look at yourself, or you look at any person, you know if the person is alive, you know that they have a soul. You've never seen the soul, nor will you ever see the soul. But the fact that the person is alive is proof that there is a soul, although I cannot see it, I don't know what it looks like. Because you see that something is making it alive. Now there's another higher element of godliness and his connect in his relation with the world, and that is called, without getting into too much detail, that's called soiveif kol almen, meaning it's, a, it's an element of godliness, but it's more superficial. It's something that encompasses the entire world, all levels of the world equally. Even that... Even that, so to speak, element of godliness also doesn't require testimony, doesn't require witnesses of any sort. Why? Because even that, even though we have no concept what it is, and that we cannot see directly, we cannot see, meaning we cannot really come to conclusion directly as we do that we see when we see that the world has energy and the world is, quote, alive, but still, our intellect, if we think about it, if we contemplate the idea, we can come to the conclusion that certainly there is a higher element to godliness, not the, just that element, a quote, which is directly involved in creating and sustaining the world. In other words, one understands that God is higher than that. God's above that. Where then do we need the, quote, witnesses? Where then do we need to have some kind of proof, something to prove to us, something to serve as a constant testimony, as constant witness that godliness is there, that is the atzmus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is the direct essence of godliness, which is way beyond any whatsoever connection to the world, even a remote one, even a superficial one. That is one, that is a, the, the, the ultimate essential level in godliness, that is God himself, or as we know it as Ein Sof, the infinite light of God, which is beyond any whatsoever interaction into the world, that is something which we have no concept of, not even a remote one, not even a distant one, not even a matter of a, a, a negated one, and therefore for that we need to have the witnesses. And that's where we have the two types of witnesses. We have the heavens of the earth and the earth, which are, like we said, they go into the category, as mentioned above, of Ede Birur, the witnesses which, so to speak, determine the fact. Either the heavens, because the heavens exist, we call it exist in the actual same form as they existed in the six days of creation. They never cease to exist. They never transform. They never change. Or all the various creatures in the earth where, yes, they only exist in species, not in the thing itself, but still they constantly 
reproduce, they start constantly procreate, and are still here. In other words, although when you see, example, a tree or an animal, it's not necessarily the same tree or animal that exists in the six days of creation, but still, the fact that it constantly reproduces, and it's still here, and it constantly re-energizes these together, the heaven and the earth, that serves as a determination, that serves as proof for us that there is an essential power here that keeps on giving, keeps on making it happen, and it's ain soif, it is unlimited, it is infinite, and that's what keeps the world going on and on and on and on, even though logically something that is of matter needs to cease to exist at a certain point, needs to stop to exist at a certain point. And then we have, of course, the Eidekium. We have the ratifying witnesses, and that is Hashem's people, us, Am Yisrael. We not only serve as testimony, we actually, so to speak, make it happen. Because through our observance of Torah mitzvahs, we actually are mamshich, we draw down from the essence of Hashem, from whom the Torah mitzvahs come, we draw down that energy, that infinite energy, into the world. In other words, we're not just here to serve testimony for something separate from ourselves. We actually bring it down. We make it happen. We function in a manner that we make the world exist. But the question is, if you think about it, why do you need Eidekiyum here? In other words, we are the Eidekiyum. We are the ratifying witnesses, so to speak. But why is it necessary? In other words, what's lacking in the witnesses in the testimony in the existence of the heavens and the earth that you need to have us as witnesses as another set of witnesses a stronger set of witnesses what would be wrong if we just had the world the answer is when you look at creation when you look at the world you look at heaven you look at earth you look at the skies you look at the sun you look at the moon you see things that true through it you can come to conclusion that there is godliness as we said in the beginning as I said before, but still, they themselves, by virtue of what they are, what are they? They are creatures. They are creations of Hashem, and they were designed in a manner. They were made in a way by Hashem, in a manner by Hashem that they should look and appear to be as something separate, as something independent from Hashem. In other words, their very existence, even though it does indicate and point towards godliness, but by virtue of their existence there is some concealment on godliness, because they are separate things, they are independent things. However, we, our form of witness, is what? That we do Torah mitzvahs. Torah mitzvahs, by definition, means that we are not we, we are battle. When somebody performs a mitzvah, when somebody studies Torah and does a mitzvah, the will of Hashem, that is an act of subservience, that is an act of bittul in which we are putting our own selves aside, our own independence aside, and we become subservient and therefore part of Hashem. So the effect of our witnessship, so to speak, the effect of our adekiyom, of who we are and what we affect, that is in a much, much greater and more impactive manner than the Eide Biro just at the heaven and earth. To take this a little a step further, to understand it clearer, there is a Gemara, there's a Medrash that explains a verse in Tehillim. In the book of Psalms, there's a verse that describes what happened by Matan Torah. And it says, Eretz Yara Vishakata. The earth, meaning the world, the universe, it feared and it was numbed. It was quiet. 
And the Gemara asks, if it was fearful, why was it quiet? If it was quiet, why was it fearful? Quiet usually is consistent with somebody who's not in fear. Fear is usually consistent with somebody who's noisy, who's anxious, who's screaming. What happened here? So the, the Gemara explains, the Medrash says that what happened was, initially the world was fearful. David HaMelech is describing not one one episode but actually two separate episodes two stages of an episode first the world was fearful from the day of creation until the day of Matan Torah the world was fearful he didn't know if it's going to really exist if it's a true existence and maybe it would cease why because Hashem stipulated that the whole purpose of creation is that the Yidden the Jews will the Jewish people will receive the Torah and if not then the world will return back to naught so the world was fearful the world wasn't sure of itself only when hashem gave the torah then shakata then it became quiet then it became numb it became quiet it calm why because it now really existed in the true manner now it really knew that it's truly it was so to speak ratified that it's going to exist in other words, Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, did like a ratification and gave a certainty to the existence of the world. Now, the question is as follows. If we think about it, what is the inherent idea of the world? In other words, if we look, as Chassidus explains, the word olam, which means world, comes from the root word, which spells out the word halem, concealment. The way Hashem created the world, the way Hashem made the world, is that the world seems to conceal godliness. The world seems to cover up in godliness. You don't immediately see godliness, you have to look for it. So the question is, one second, Matan Torah, what did the Torah, giving the Torah do? It revealed godliness into the world. What does the world do? It conceals godliness. So how can it be that because of Matan Torah, which revealed godliness into the world, now the existence of the world, which in, by definition, the essence of it is what? That it conceals godliness, now it really was ratified and it truly exists. How can, how can that be? The answer is that by a human being, by a person, there are two separate phases. You have potential, or talk of it, think of it as intent, the planning stage, and then you have the actual effect, the implementation. One is not the other. When somebody has an idea, it hasn't happened yet. If it happened, it's no longer an idea. But by Hashem, it says, as it says in the Pardis in Kabbalah, Ein koyach chaser poyol. That potential does not lack the intent of Hashem is already considered as if it's done. It doesn't lack the actual implementation. And therefore, thus, the true existence of the world is not what it seems as, you know, as, as, as it's, you know, the matter and the visual substance that we see, but ra- which seems to conceal godliness. But rather, what is the true existence of the world? The true existence of the world is the intent that Hashem had, as I mentioned before, that it should be for the Torah and for Yisrael. And therefore, once Hashem actually gave the Torah and now made it possible to reveal godliness in the world, now it truly exists, even though it seems to conceal godliness, but it's not what it really is. An example for this in Halacha, where we see that the intent of something actually changes the thing, the action itself. In other words, it has a bearing. It has an effect on the action itself, even though the action seems to be something totally different. Is that a great example is from Hilchis Shabbos? The rule is that if you carry out from one domain to another, 
or in a public domain you carry more than four cubits, cubit feet, the rule is that you're high if you have now transgressed to Shabbos. And of course, like everything else in the Torah, there's always a minimum shear. There's a measurement. There's a minimum size of the thing. If a person carries out a speck of dust, that's not considered that he carried. It has to be something of essence, something of, of value, something of importance. What happens if somebody has a dish, and in the dish, he carries out food? Now, the food that he's carrying does not meet the, the minimum measurement to make him chayiv, to make him um, um, uh, uh, to, to, to make him be considered that he had transgressed. Now, of course, the dish itself is an entire dish. And had he carried just a dish and that would have been his intent, he would have been transgressing Shabbos. He would have been culpable. But here that his intent is for the food and the food does not meet the minimum requirement, then we overlook. It overrides the size of the of the, of the kli, of the vessel, of the utensil that he's using. And the person is not chayiv. The person has not fully transgressed Shabbos. So you see here, where even by a person, because of the laws of Torah, sometimes the intent can play an impactive role in the action, which the action is the action. Without the intent, it would have been something else. But the intent actually plays a role and changes. It transforms, really, what's really taking place. So the same thing is here. Because when Hashem created the world, it seems like the world conceals godliness. It looks like the world is a, so to speak, an independent entity and separate from godliness and you don't recognize in godliness. And therefore it seems like it's concealing godliness. But through Matan Torah, the power was given to us. The ability was given us to, to, to bring out, to reveal within the world the true purpose of the world, the true meaning of the world, and therefore, we, the Jewish people who receive the Torah, we are the Eidekiyum, we are the ratifying witnesses that make the world for what the world is supposed to be, not a place of concealment of godliness, but rather a place of revelation of godliness, and we, quote, make the world happen, we give existence to the world.